couple of weeks ago, my sister-in-law posted a link to the Church of Christ in North Carolina where she and my brother attend. And my brother was actually preaching that day. I don't know why, but he was. They have a regular pulpit minister, I believe, but he was preaching. And somewhere in the course of that sermon, he made reference to the book of James. And he said, and and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but he said something to the effect of, and if you know me, anything about me, you know that James is my favorite book. So out of honor of my brother preaching a few weeks ago, I thought I'd share a message from James today. That's where this comes from. It may not be exactly a sermon that you would expect because James talks about some things that are kind of tough. And he says some things that are a little bit hard for us to grasp and understand. Most especially in the very beginning of this thing, he talks about there being pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How many of you know what perseverance means? Yes, perseverance is one of those things that is a quality of character, unfortunately, that not as many people have in our world today as I personally believe they should have. Because in our world today, a lot of people give up easily. There's a lot of conversation that's going on about the millennials entering into the workplace and the lack of X. And I'll let you fill in whatever you think X is, that they may be lacking in their skill set as they come into the workplace. I don't know that all of that is true or not, but I know this. Perseverance is a quality that is lacking quite a bit in our world. Because perseverance is when you decide that you're going to stick to it. I remember years ago, and I'm talking a long time ago, when Lynn and I lived in Montgomery, Alabama. There was a young, I used to, I don't tell many people this, but apparently I'm going to tell the whole world today. I used to be in the construction business. I used to build houses and remodel houses. I didn't really build houses, but I remodel houses and all that stuff. And by the way, I have no tools anymore, so don't ask me to come help you do anything. I left all my tools in Houston when I moved back here. But I used to do, and I actually owned a cabinet shop for a period of time in my life. And I had, I built beautiful cabinets and we installed them in very high-end homes. It was a lot of fun. Well, I hired a young man by the name of Randy. Randy was a great guy. He really was. He's a really, really good guy. Member of the church, went to church with us. He and his wife and my wife and I, we became good friends. They had a son about the same time we had our first son. But Randy had a bulldog that was his favorite pet of all times. And I remember going over to Randy's house because oftentimes I would take him to work or pick him up or take him home or something. That's just what you did back then because not everyone had two cars. You know how it was back in the day. And I remember going in the backyard with him and I was scared to death of that dog because that dog could rip my head off. I mean, it it just scared me to death. But Randy had a, a big rope hanging in a tree and there was a knot tied the end of that rope about this big around. And he would make a command, and that dog would run, and he would jump, and he would grab that knot, and he would not let go. And Randy would grab that dog by the hind leg, and he would whirl him around, and he would do circles round and around that dog would go. And that dog would not let go of the knot until Randy gave the command, and just like that, that dog would let go. That is perseverance. Perseverance. 
When you hold on to something and you're not going to let go of it, that is perseverance. A few years ago, my son, Thomas, that lives here in Culver City, he was in college at, at Pepperdine. I think it was in 2000. And, well, maybe he wasn't in school. He was out of school. But somewhere around 2010, I think it was, he decided to run in the Malibu Marathon. And I don't even know if they do that anymore. But he decided to run in this thing. And that really inspired me as the father of a young man who decided he would run a marathon. It inspired me so much that I decided to take up running again. I used to run a lot when I was college age and a few years after that. I was, there's nothing to run eight or ten miles at a whack and I could do it and hardly break a sweat. So I decided to start running again. My son shared a book with me about an indigenous group of people who live down in Mexico who are known for being very long distance runners. And I don't mean marathon. I'm talking 50, 60, 70 miles they ran. It was a just part of what their culture was. He shared a book, and I started reading it, and I got super inspired to run. And I started running. And I bought shoes, and I bought socks, and I bought shorts. I mean, I looked good. <laughs> I looked good. And we were living at the marina in Chula Vista, and I'm running at sea level, baby. I'm like two and a half feet off the water because the sidewalk is two and a half feet above sea level. And I'm running around South Bay. And I started running from Chula Vista Marina, and I got all the way down to California Marina, which is 115 yards. And I ran the whole way. And I stopped. And I thought I was going to die. Because I haven't run in years. You ever heard of shin splints? Amen. Amen. Yes. I, I, my picture's in the dictionary next to that term because I can get them easily. I've been carried off of fields before because of that. So I decided, you know what, this running thing is not what it's cracked up to be. I need to walk. And so I've, I found on the Internet, and you know it's got to be true because it's on the Internet. I found on the Internet this running, what are you laughing at? I, I found on, this, on the Internet this running schedule where it says, here's how to run a marathon. Here's how to train for a marathon. And you walk it and run it, and you walk and run it. And so I would walk for like seven minutes, and then I'd run about 38 seconds. And I would walk a little further, another six or seven minutes, and I'd run for a little. And, and literally, literally, over a period of weeks and months, I got up to the point that on a Sunday morning, before I went to the little Palomar Street Church of Christ to preach, I literally got up and I ran 12 and a half miles Sunday morning before church. It's pretty good, yes? And I was doing all of this to train for the Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego. And I got home that afternoon after running that 12 and a half miles and I went online and I went on to register for the Rock and Roll Marathon and the registration was closed. And I missed the deadline. And in honor of Forrest Gump, I decided, I think I'm going to go home now. I'm not going to run anymore. And I just stopped that day. I just stopped. That is not perseverance. Is anything but perseverance. Years ago, and I'm telling these stories about myself because I don't want to embarrass some of you because I know some of your stories. But years ago, when I was in high school, I was, some of you can see this, and if you're watching this on live stream, there's a camera right here that makes me look like I'm in a fishbowl, but it's on a, a tripod. And I was about the same size of that tripod. I mean, I was a skinny little kid. I was about a six foot two, 135 pounds with my clothes on. I was skinny. I really was. 
And I tried to gain weight. I had a coach. He was my baseball coach. He said, Ed, you need to get in the gym. I'm like, why? He's like, you need to gain some weight. He said, you'd be a much better ball player if you'd put some muscle on. I'm like, okay, coach. So I start doing that. I didn't gain any weight. I didn't get any muscle. He said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every night. And I want you to, hey, coach, you're shaking your head. You know this routine. So he said, I want you to eat two peanut butter jelly sandwiches. I want you to make a milkshake and put a raw egg in it. I thought I was going to die. But I put raw eggs in my milkshakes. And I lived to tell it. No salmon as or anything like that got a hold of me. But I never gained any weight. I never got any stronger. But I went to the gym for a long time, and I never got any stronger. And then I got married. And my wife's mother put on 30 pounds on me in a summer. Because she knew how to cook, man. She knew how to cook. And I started putting on the weight, and I actually got some muscle. And then we moved to Atlanta, and I met this guy named Tim, who was also a pilot. He flew for Delta. Tim was a great friend of mine, and he would go to the gym. He was an avid guy to go to the gym and work out. And I went with Tim, and I started working out in the gym, and I started getting muscles, man. It was amazing. I'd never seen him in my life. It was cool. And my wife felt my arm one day. She said, oh, I like being what we're asking for. I don't ask God for wisdom to help me understand physics. Because I'll never use it. Well, not on purpose. (laughs) There's some part of physics I use every time because when I hit the brakes on my car, that thing stops. Miraculously in my mind, but it stops. And don't ask me to tell you how air conditioning works because I sure don't get that. But I'm telling you, God will give us those things, but we have to believe that he's going to give them to us. And we have to have that desire for the things that we're asking for. Why would you ask for something that you don't even need? And why would you ask for something that may not have a greater purpose? I didn't get here early enough to try to get the picture uploaded, but I have a picture of a boat on my phone. Can you imagine? But it's not a real boat. It's a pretend boat in my mind, because it's 208 feet long. And it's sitting in the harbor in Monaco. No, forgive me. It's sitting in the harbor in Cannes, because we went to the Cannes Film Festival. And I have a hat, just to prove that I was there. It's sitting in the harbor in Cannes. It's 208 feet long, because we really went, just so I could see the boats. I didn't care about the movies. You can charter this vessel for 480 euros a week. Let me rephrase that. 480,000 euros per week, which is about 575,000 U.S. dollars, plus expenses. That doesn't include food or gas. That's not a real boat in my world. You know, James says something interesting here in this text. He said, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they'll pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. I don't have anything against wealth. saw a bunch of it last week more than I'll probably ever see in a week again in my life. Because unless the company pays for me to go back, I'm not going back to Monaco. France, 
Could be. I don't have anything against wealth. As a matter of fact, I think more of us in the church, even outside the boundaries of the Mission Bay Church of Christ, more of us in the church need to have more wealth. As a matter of fact, I'm a firm believer that more of us in the church need to have an exorbitant amount of wealth. You want to know why? Because there are a few hundred million people around the world who don't know Jesus. They, they don't know Jesus. And if they do, they're hiding it really, really well. When we were in Europe, we visited the town of Cannes. We went to Nice. We walked around Monaco. We went to San Remo. We went to a little town called Ventimiglia. And I can tell you, in all of those cities, not once, not once did I see a church building that was anything other than a museum. And I don't mean to imply that they don't exist because I didn't go down all the streets in all the cities. But I know this. When I drive down the streets of virtually any city in our country, I see a multiplicity of churches. There's a difference. I don't understand it all, but there is a difference. So I'm going to challenge you as members of this congregation to figure out a way to earn some more money. And not so you can have a different kind of car or a different kind of boat or a different kind of house or a different kind of vacation. I want to challenge you to earn a significant amount of money so that people around the world who do not know Jesus have a greater opportunity to come to know him. And that, is that making sense? This is yes, this is no, this preacher, I got no idea what you're talking about. You connecting with me on this? I know, I know that some of us in this room have enormous capacities and opportunities that are right at our fingertips to do great things financially in your world. And I'm wondering if you can see just a little bit of a vision to use the gift that God has given you to do more than you have ever done in your life and even more than you've ever imagined doing in your life to give someone around the world the opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. I don't think we've fulfilled the commission yet. I think we're still lacking and I know we're lacking right here in our community because it rained today and there are a little bit fewer numbers here than we would have if it were a sunny day. And I know that there are opportunities for us to fill this building two or three or four times on a Sunday rather than one time on a Sunday. And I also want you to know that a lot of, that, a lot of the necessary things that make that become a reality when we can fill this building three or four times happens 
because of the money that you and I can contribute to the Lord's kingdom. And I believe that to be a fact. Believe it or not, Jesus had a treasurer. So blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This verse has a little twist to it that I want you to think about. How long? How long do you and I get to persevere? And how often and how long will God continue to provide us with the opportunity to experience pure joy because of the trial and tribulations that we go through. When I see this verse of Scripture, I get the sense that this is going to take a whole lifetime. You get what I'm saying? Because he says if we'll persevere, we'll receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And if I remember reading in the book properly, we get the crown of life when? When we die and when we stand before the judgment seat of God and he gives us the crown of life. And he says, enter into, you get where I'm coming from? So the persevering doesn't stop when you get to be 50 years old or 38 years old or 62 or 91. <clears throat> the perseverance gets to go all the way through the trials and the tribulations that cause us to strengthen ourselves and to stand stronger in the faith. The wisdom that we gain that we get to share with others, that goes all the way through life. It doesn't end just because you retire from your job. It doesn't end just because your kids are grown and they're off your payroll and they got married. It goes all the way through. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. And for all of us in this room, trust me, it's not over. And there will come things in your life that will be challenging. And they will be the trials and the tribulations. They will be those times when you have to go and fall before God and say, I need wisdom to deal with this. Help me understand this. It doesn't stop until it's over. And then we'll all rejoice. And we'll share a few minutes and remember and reflect on all the wonders of your life. So Paul invites us, to, or James invites us to consider this joy. And the joy comes through trouble and trial. The song that we sing, it's an old song. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder. Why it should be thus all the day long. Remember that song? Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Well, guess when you'll understand? When you're dead. I'm just telling you guys, until we stand before God, so long as the breath of life is in us, we're not going to understand it all. Because we're not that smart. We're not that smart. And so we walk in faith and in hope, in pure joy, as we experience life's struggles and trials and tribulation 
always seeking and asking for the wisdom of God to deal with whatever it is that he's putting in front of us to make us a little bit stronger, to prepare us for what's coming down the road because he knows there's something coming. There's something coming. Every season of life has its challenges. Every season of life has a different set of circumstances. And it's not over until it's over. And until it's over, may we all seek the wisdom of God. May we all find ways to encourage others. May we all find ways to be able to persevere until the end. When we receive the promised crown of life. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Skeet is going to come and lead us in this song, Victory in Jesus, because truly there is only victory in Jesus. We ask you to consider your walk in faith with him. If we can help you in any way, come and let us know. Let's stand and sing this song. Oh, victory.